dark. Now, today I am talking about the wise men. But before I begin, I have two questions for you. Both about a subject that I'm not really an expert and I don't actually care that much about, but I know is important to some of you and certainly important to some of my friends. That is celebrities. I hear that uh, Keeping Up With The Kardashians has now reached 20 series. And I have to confess, I am glad to say that I haven't watched a single episode. So that is how much I, uh, I care about celebrity. But the question is, what's the furthest you've gone to to try and see a celebrity, your favorite celebrity? Have you ever waited in line for hours to get a signature or stayed up all night to uh, make sure that you were first in line for maybe a concert or to buy some specific merchandise. I suppose uh, I was one of the first on the website a few years ago when the Foo Fighters came, they went to Singapore and I managed to get some tickets. So you could say I was, uh, I was quite keen for that. I also traveled a, a few hours across a very busy London uh, to, to listen to my favorite poet. I have a friend who loves his sport and he makes sure that he goes, regardless of how difficult, he goes to every single Olympics. Even this year to Japan, he managed to make it to Japan despite all the travel restrictions. And now that is commitment and that is a lot of effort. But I have to say that's not really a big part of my life. But I wonder how much for you that is. How much is it worth it to see that special person. Now, my second question is very similar. If a famous person was coming to your town or your neighborhood, what would you do to make sure you saw them? Or how would you react? Let's say it was the president of the United States. I know it depends on which one it is for some people. It could be the queen, the Pope. Don't know whether you're interested in seeing the Pope. Maybe just out of interest, could be the Sultan of Johor. He often drives a, a, past our school in his, his long cavalcade uh, security, try and get a glimpse of him through the kind of darkened glass. But I don't really go out of my way to try and see these people. I think it's possibly a different reaction to see who they are. Now, some of my friends in the UK, um, uh, 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 are certainly expressing uh, disdain for um, the, the current Prime Minister, uh, Boris Johnson, and they tell me that they, their reaction to that would be completely opposite. Rather than waiting in line to make sure that you were the first on, at the barriers to shake his hand, they would could be completely the opposite. They would steer well clear of all the crowds in fact, if he managed to come past them, they, they've said that they would boo him or maybe throw some, some eggs. So we see very, very different reactions to different people, don't we? In today's passage, uh, passages that were read out, we see three different reactions to the birth of Jesus. Let me share this with you. Wrong, wrong passage, this one. Okay. 
Now, the first is the wise men, the Magi. We don't know much about them, but we know that they're from the East and we know that they're scholars of some sort. Perhaps they were from Babylon. That's what some of the scholars think, perhaps from Babylon, perhaps from further. Certainly there were scholars in China at the time. We don't really, when you see the kind of wise men are at, at the uh, nativity scenes, you usually see them in kind of uh, multi-ethnic kind of backgrounds, not really uh, like Chinese wise men, but uh, perhaps they were. Perhaps, uh, well, we also don't know how they followed the star. We know that they found Jesus by following the star to Jesus's exact location. And that remains a mystery to us as well. Some say that the star was Halley's Comet, which comes around every 75 years. When I was a, when I was a boy, Halley's Comet came. I don't know whether I'm, I probably won't make it to the next time Halley's Comet comes around, um, but how it could have pointed to the exact location in Bethlehem seems very bizarre and uh, is a complete mystery to us. These are mysteries that mystics and conspiracy theories theorists have conjectured over the years. Uh, but in some ways, I think that they are missing the greater point. That point would be that if the biblical God is true, the God of creation, the being that set the stars in motion and wrote the laws of physics, then surely proof for his existence, uh, sorry, um, he can bring these things about. Now, the great atheist, the great uh, anti-Christian, uh, the guy who's constantly on about uh, Christianity, Richard Dawkins, his claim is that miracles are just a propaganda for uh, the way that he says it is unsophisticates, that means ignorant people, and children. It's a nice story, it's a nice fairy tale for unsophisticates and children, he says. But that's surely a circular argument. Miracles are foolish and just propaganda for the naive. They can't possibly be true. And then he says, well, there is no evidence for God. Those two don't quite pair up. If miracles are just foolishness and there is no evidence for God because you're scoffing at the miracles, well, which one is it? Do you want miracles, which is proof of God? Or do you want, do you, are you saying that miracles are just foolishness? And if you're interested in that, then I would encourage you to go and research it. Many have come to become Christian and believe through looking at the, the Bible, looking at these miracles, looking at the prophecies. So we come back to Matthew's gospel account and these mysterious men from the East. What isn't in doubt is that they traveled a massive distance to find out who this great king is. In verse two, we see, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
Now, if Jesus was to come again, would you travel halfway round the world to see him? For Christians, there's the challenge. How much does Jesus mean to you? Is he worth sacrificing your Sunday morning? I'm not a morning person. Getting up on Sunday on my day off, that can be a struggle. I, I find it hard enough during the week. Um, but the Bible says we meet him in his word and we meet him in his church. The evening Bible study when you could be relaxing or doing work instead. How much does meeting Jesus and meeting God mean to you? Certainly for these wise men who had no background in the scriptures. They may have had a copy of the scriptures, but certainly they would have had many other texts. But they found this huge motivation to go and meet this Jesus. What's the second reaction? We see it straight afterwards in verse three. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod goes on to lie to the wise men, to deceive them, to manipulate them. And then when his plans are foiled, down in verse 16, the most horrendous of acts, in his jealousy, in protecting his position, he slaughters all the male children under two in and around Bethlehem. That's what the coming Messiah, the coming King, the Jesus means to him. We've just finished a series on 1 Peter, and we were warned in it, and in many other books in the Bible and uh, elsewhere, that Christians will face unreasonable and unproportionate hatred and persecution. If they persecuted me, then they will persecute you, says Jesus. Not a great way to sell the Christian life. Become a Christian and become persecuted. Face hatred and disdain. But despite all of that, I'm not going to go too much into it now, but despite all of that, the benefits still outweigh the negatives. It is a joy to be a Christian. I can't say that I've never looked back. I've questioned at times, but it is a joy to be a Christian and it is worth it. Now, I wonder whether in this passage you can spot the third surprising reaction to Jesus. And it comes straight afterwards. Verse four. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of the, them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. The chief priests and the scribes. Last week, I spoke about Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, a priest who received news from an angel. And as he was 
serving in the temple. The angel came to him and outside the temple, the people were waiting and praying and longing for God to intervene. At this point, the prophets have been quiet for about 400 years and the people are crying out for God to answer their prayers. To end the Roman occupation, to end their suffering and to end other areas of their suffering. All of them with their individual prayer, uh, prayers. Surely of all people who you would expect to care about the Messiah, to care about the Christ, to care about the King of the Jews. And we read that passage in, one, uh, in Isaiah 9, which was 700 years before Christ, Jesus Christ came. That would have been well known to them. For unto us a child is born. This king is coming. Surely of all the people who would care about that, it would be the chief priests. The people who tended the temples. The scribes were the teachers of the law. The people who taught, the, 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 the scribes who had taught the people of Israel about this Messiah and about God. Instead, there is a resounding silence. They just don't care. Why don't they care? I don't know what was going through their minds, but I'm, I'm guessing they're so comfortable in their lifestyles. We see it a little bit when Jesus comes and confronts them. They're the status quo that the person who is the fulfillment of the scriptures that they teach, the person who, is the, uh, who the nation has been hoping for, the very God that they worship, come down in human form, they don't care. We saw it in Isaiah. Let me put this up. This is reading uh, from, I've lost it, here, from verse six. Wonder whether I could increase the size of that. I don't know, let's have a look. There you go. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There it is. This child will be born who will be both mighty God and the Prince of Peace. This child is going to be God. For anyone who doubts about the prophecies of this, the Godhood of this child, it's there. And we have the evidence from before the time of Christ. We're in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which predate Christ. This prophecy is there. Mighty God, Prince of Peace, and they don't care. It would be almost like William Shakespeare walking into a room of English professors. He proves himself somehow. I don't know how he would prove himself. 
They're astounded for a second and then they go back to their classes. They don't even ask him a single question. The chief priests could have gone with the Magi, could have followed up, could have spoken out, could have recorded things. Not a single word, a resounding silence. And that's what we see in most of humanity, isn't it? That's what we see in people today. What would happen if I went into the streets with a megaphone and started shouting to them about the most important person in, who ever lived, Jesus? Well, we kind of know what would happen if that, if I did that, I'd probably get sacked as well. But um, we've seen it. If you come to London, you'll see it on a few different streets, especially uh, we had one in uh, uh, Finsbury Park um, and often in Brixton, there would be someone uh, shouting on a megaphone. At best, they get ignored. At worst, they'd get laughed at, mocked, and even occasionally spat on or some violence committed against them. It happens. But why should they care why should people care and i'm not talking about the chief priests now and scribes who should have cared i'm talking now about our friends our colleagues and anyone here who wouldn't call themselves yet a christian verse 7 in isaiah of the increase and of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's good, isn't it? Increase of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Again, that's a great thing, isn't it? Justice and righteousness. From this time and uh, forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, I don't know what uh, it's like to buy property in uh, Malaysia, but in England, uh, you generally, when you buy a property, you either have something called leasehold or freehold. If you buy a leasehold, you don't actually own the property. You're buying a lease for maybe a hundred years or so, at which point you can usually pay to renew the lease. That means that whoever owns the land, that's usually the queen actually, um, and the royal family, whichever noble person owns the land, still gets income from the land. A freehold, however, is that you own the land and you own it for forever. When the keys are handed over to you, it's now yours forever. Sort of. Not quite. Buildings crumble. Laws change. You die. Horrible thing to think about. Death and taxes, two things that nobody can escape. So it's not yours forever. When the Bible talks about forever, it means forever. And this is one of the great hopes. And when I talk about hope, it's not just some wishing, longful wishing. It's a certainty of a promise 
that is given from time uh, the time when time began. That hope is for heaven and eternity. His kingdom will be established forever. God's king from the line of David, the child who was to come, will rule forever. It's not a physical kingdom as the Jews at the time seemed to believe and they'd made that mistake. He wasn't there to overthrow the Romans. The kingdom is a spiritual one. Jesus promises that he will come again to judge the living and the dead and there will be a great divide. It wasn't physical battles that were won and conquered. Jesus was crucified in one of the most gruesome deaths in history to conquer death. And that's why he rose again and showed himself at some point to thousands. And these disciples went on to their deaths and not a single one denied the resurrection of Jesus. If Christianity is true, then it has its consequences, doesn't it? Now, Luke's gospel, as we've studied uh, last year in the Bible studies, Luke's gospel concentrates on the shepherds who come to worship Jesus and the heavenly host that announces Jesus's birth. Matthew, however, concentrates on these strange foreigners, these strange scholars from the East. Why does he do that? Matthew is declaring that Jesus is, isn't just the king of the Jews, he is king of the whole world. In fact, he is king of creation. That's what makes him special. That's why these magi came all this way to see him. If you're not sure, then look at how Matthew ends his gospel. I won't turn to it, but it should be familiar to many of us. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's that forever again. I am with you always. Christians will recognize this as the Great Commission. It's called the Great Commission. It's a call for Christians to spread the news of Jesus to and to mentor them for all nations. And the translation of that is not countries. They wouldn't have understand, understood necessarily country, the idea of countries. I was watching a documentary on uh, a medieval, uh, medieval scholar, and uh, I think it was uh, the um, Robin Hood. Um, uh, film and she was saying that his call to serve their country would not have been understood serve their king yes but not their country but this 
this idea of all nations, the translation of that is all people groups. And I see that in school, all the different people groups, actually less in my school, there's not really many cliques, but in other schools I've seen the popular girls and the, the rugby lads and you know, the, the nerdy, yeah, that was me, the nerdy people, um, the different people groups, the drama kids, reach out to all of them. So I will end on this. I can breathe a sigh of relief. How will you react when Jesus comes again? How will you react when Jesus comes calling? Now. If you aren't a Christian and you're listening to this, I pray that you will look into the veracity of these claims. Historians believe that the Bible is a histor historical document. There was an interesting survey that the history department in a university, I forget which one, uh, I think it was uh, Toronto University, they did a survey and they found that the history department thought of the Bible, uh, the majority of the history de department thought of the Bible as a historical document. And they did the same survey and far fewer of the theologians considered the Bible to be a historical document. That's a little worrying, isn't it? But if it is true, if these claims are true, if there is historical evidence behind this beyond the, what you can doubt, and I can guarantee that there are plenty of people who have looked into this and been converted, then there are very real consequences in your life. And sadly, most people who listen to that, if I tell that to anyone on the street, if I said the same sermon to anyone on the street, how many would actually follow through and go and investigate? No, it's far easier to live my comfortable life the way I want to. I don't want to change my life. I'm living perfectly comfortable, comfortably. It's not maybe not perfect, but this is the life I want to choose. It's that Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. Now, Jesus teaches us to, to pray, uh, not to confess to a, a, a priest or have a priest intercess for them, but to pray directly to God, to ask for our daily needs. And we're going to do that now. I'm going to do that now. So let me pray. Father, help us to understand more of who you are, your greatness. Let us take joy in this time of year and look forward to Jesus's birth. When you sent your son into the world, not to be served, but to serve, to die for us and guarantee us a place in heaven. And while that death may be a difficult thing to bear, help us to take joy that we are adopted into your family and have a promised place in heaven because of it. And Father, I pray for those who don't have a relationship with you yet, to, to don't know you. 
to have a burden to go and investigate, to ask the questions, to find out why, to find out what is so important to so many millions of people around the world. Lord, we pray that you bless us this time. We pray that you bless us during this holiday. Give us peace and time with our families. In Jesus' name, amen.